Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in. Israel was in dire catastrophe. The wellness of a nation is determined by their spiritual leaders, not just spiritual leaders, that's not the end of the sentence, determined by their spiritual leaders' faithfulness to God. Do you consider yourself an important person, someone who matters? And you are. How do I know? Because everyone matters to God. God gathers his people from the farthest parts of the earth and he doesn't select those who we consider important, useful or worthwhile. God's love and grace is available to any nationality. Tonight in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, Dr. Corbett looks at souls shall feast on abundance. Prophet Jeremiah came at a time in Israel's history when it was the darkest spiritual uh, and moral climate in Israel's history. Spiritually, they had walked away from God. And yet, that's not what makes people spiritually dark. What makes people spiritually dark is when they claim they haven't, and yet they have. What makes it a spiritually dark time is when people look like they're following after God, when in fact they're not. That's a dark and dangerous spiritual time when people put on a show that looks like they're spiritual. It looks like they're being faithful to God when in fact their hearts are a million miles away from God. They are practicing all kinds of things that break the heart of God. And that's a dark time. Because it's duplicitous, which means deeply dishonest. Jeremiah is addressing three key issues that were happening in Israel at that time. One was immorality. One was idolatry. And the other one was ignorance. And I, I think we are now living in a time when immorality is so accepted. It sounds strange. It actually sounds strange to our ears to hear people call it something sin or wrong. In a moment, we're going to read something of the heart of God as we look at the, this section on the, on the covenant. And as we do that, I'm mindful that there is someone right now listening to me. As a young girl, she was given up by her mum. And this young girl was raised by someone who was not her mum, but, but cared for her. And unbeknown to this mum, that as this young girl grew up to be five, six, seven years of age, and as people came and visited the house, they sexually abused this girl. And by the time she was nine, ten she was introduced to alcohol and eventually by the time she was 11 and 12, she was now taking heroin and cocaine. By the time she was 13, she was prostituting herself. By the time she was 16, she was now a drug addict in a strange man's home having just sold herself for not much more than the price of a little sachet of cocaine. When 
she reached across and from out of the man's own bedside drawer pulled out his pistol. And as he lay there beside her, she shot him in the head. By the way, I'm not making this up. At the age of 17, she was tried and she was just on that cusp of going from being a minor to being an adult. She was found guilty of murder and jailed for life. This morning, you can all listen in. I'm talking to that girl today. And we think, oh, that's their extreme stories. Those things doesn't happen here in Tasmania. And I'm talking today to girls like that. I'm talking to young boys who've been abused. I'm talking, but particularly there is a girl I'm thinking of, and I'm talking to her today. And you can just listen in. So we're in Jeremiah. We're going to be starting in chapter 31. We're going to be from verse 8. And I've taken a statement out of verse 14. Souls shall feast on abundance. Because for some people, their souls are so impoverished, the core of their being... There's an ache, there's an agony, there's a dryness, there's a, such a hurt. There's such a sense of deep loneliness. There's a sense that no one loves me, no one cares about me. It hurts so much. No wonder they turn to drugs. No wonder they try to drown it with alcohol. No wonder. Because they're trying to numb the pain. There's an ache that no doctor can put a band-aid on. Because it's an ache of the soul. Souls shall feast on abundance. And we're looking from verse 8 down to verse 14. Here's verse 8. You know that Jeremiah has been telling the people, judgment is coming. Famine, sword, pestilence, because you have committed idolatry, you have committed immorality, and you have committed ignorance, all the while claiming not to be ignorant, not to be committing immorality, and you've claimed not to be committing idolatry, and that has made it so much worse. And then Babylon did come in and they took away some. And there was this incredulous reaction from the people. How could God let this happen to us? And Jeremiah just turns to God. And God lifts him out of this situation and begins to have him speak of events. That will take place immediately 70 years later, but then 590 years later. When in Bethlehem, which he refers to later in this passage, just after this, we won't look at it today, we'll look at it next time. A place called Rama, a little baby would be born. The Messiah, he refers to it. God lifts him out of this and he says, Jeremiah, I'm going to bring in a new covenant. And in verse 8, he says this, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind, the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor together. A great company they shall return here. 
Stephen very powerfully, very prophetically said there's only two categories of people in the world today. You and the rest. And God loves both categories. Notice this category, the categories given here, the blind. How were the blind treated in ancient times? They were treated like dirt. How were the lame treated? Not much better. What about the pregnant woman? And this isn't the pregnant wife. This is the pregnant woman. It wasn't that long ago that pregnant women were, had a stigma. Back in ancient times, the stigma was a hundred times worse. And here God is saying, I'll gather from the north, and that is those who were taken by Assyria a hundred years earlier, the, the ten northern tribes, who you think are gone, scattered, never to be found again. I'll find them. I'll find them. And out from them, I'm going to find the blind, the people that the world treats as the scum of the earth, the lame. I'm going to take the single mum, the pregnant woman, the one who, through no fault of her own, is in this situation. I'm going to gather them. I'm going to gather them. And I want you to hear, and I hope that this pulsates through what I have to share today. What does this tell us about God? She who is in labour together, a great company, and they shall return here. What does this tell us about God? Hopefully it tells us at least this. Everyone matters to God. Everyone. You matter to God. You might be a young girl who feels utterly betrayed by your mum, the dad you never knew, the uncles who raped you, the boys who gave you drugs and got you drunk and abused you nights on end. And you might feel like you are a shell, totally empty. You matter to God. You matter to God. With weeping, they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Israel and Ephraim, the two names, interchangeable names given to the ten tribes of the north who Judah said, well, they disobeyed God. That's why they were taken away and they're written off. They're gone. Those ten tribes have vanished. They'll never be anymore because they sinned. And God says, I'll gather my remnant from these ten tribes because they're my firstborn. Notice that verse, verse 9 says, With weeping they shall come with pleas for mercy. It was Charles Simeon, the great Cambridge preacher of the 1600s, or 1700s, sorry, who, who preached in his church that you needed to be born again. And his own church locked him out the next Sunday. Outraged. Outraged. 
that he dared call them sinners in need of a saviour. <laughs> For 52 years he preached, locked out of his church. He got in, but the pews had gates on them and they locked them. He said, it's okay, I'll pr- keep preaching the saviour. They'll either get saved or die. And that happened. Some of them gave their lives to Christ, they got saved. Some of them just died. And after 52 years of preaching, Charles Simeon, preaching Sunday by Sunday, a message of turn to the Saviour, repent. That word repent. I think it was Charles Simeon that said, if I be found in the pulpit and I die, I pray that I be found preaching repentance. If I be found not behind the pulpit and I die, I pray that I would be found living repentance. And he was the one that said, when God's mercy and grace is revealed to a person, it often invokes opposite emotions, extreme joy and extreme sorrow at the same time. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this. He calls repentance the thing that results from godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. And so it's often opposite emotions being stirred when God's grace touches a soul. When Peter saw Jesus awake, calm the waters, Peter looks up at him. Everything's just gone suddenly calm. And Peter looks at him and then suddenly... He sees Jesus. And it's at that point that he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. When grace touches a soul, it can produce opposite emotions. With weeping, they shall come. Please for mercy. Notice it goes on, it says, for I am a father to Israel. And God's love for people is as a, if I say father, I I, I run the risk of presenting to the young lady, the young girl that I I mentioned at the start of this message, that God is like that. You know that father that you never knew? You know that jerk that let you down and hurt you and hurt your mum? God's like that. And he's not. So I'm going to put a word in here to describe God as Father, and it's the word perfect. Because God's love for his people is as a perfect father loves his child. That's how God loves. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 10. O nations, declare it in the coastlands far away. I guess that's Tasmania. About as far away from Israel as you can get, except for Dunedin, New Zealand. That's just a little bit further. But we're not too far off that. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. If we had the time, we would look at something that 
Charles Spurgeon spent a great proportion of his life teaching and preaching. And as a result, he took a church from about 40, 50 people through to about 18,000 people because he thought this teaching that we find in this verse was the most beautiful, precious truth in Scripture. And it's this, sovereign grace. Sovereign grace means you did not choose him, he chose you. Is there anyone here today who knows Christ and you could say you orchestrated your own salvation? Not my story, and I've never met anyone who can say that. But what I have found is people who say, God set me up. God set me up and he drew me in and he revealed himself to me and I surrendered to him. And that is the doctrine of sovereign grace. Other words for it, sovereign grace election god chose you what a beautiful precious thing beautiful precious thing and i'd like to say to the young boys and girls young men and women who feel like no one has chosen you god is choosing you come to him he's chosen you now god's love and grace is available to any nationality you read that verse there and it says declare this among the nations it doesn't matter what your skin color God loves you. It doesn't matter what your nationality. God loves you. It doesn't matter who your parents are. God loves you. Your nationality, your ethnicity, your skin colour, your religious background are irrelevant. God loves you. God loves you. His grace is available to any nationality. And here's the... The beautiful truth that we see in this verse where we, we're going to see in the, in the next verse, God says, I, I will ransom them from that which is too strong for them. And no matter what is too strong for you now, we hear the heart of God who says, I can deliver you from that. I can rescue you from that. I can overcome what is ever what, what is overwhelming you right now. So no matter what is overwhelming you, we, we can draw from this scripture that God can rescue you. You might be bound up in all kinds of drugs, alcohol, addictions. It doesn't matter. God can break those things and set you free. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob. And has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Verse 12. I love the response. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Over the grain, the wine and the oil. Over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. And they shall languish no more. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. I just think of the young people that have been abused and treated like dirt. Give your life to God and he can turn your life around. And in not too many years down the track, the pain and the hurt will be gone. And your life will be like a well Watered garden, radiant over the goodness of the Lord, where you can rejoice 
and God's goodness in your life. And these word pictures, grain, wine, oil, are word pictures of God's blessing. So God can turn your sadness and despair, that ache, that emptiness that you, you turn to. And for some people it's running, for some people it's fitness, for some people it's alcohol, for some people it's drugs, for some people it's sex, trying to distract and numb the pain. And God can turn your sadness and despair into great joy and delight. Then the young women shall rejoice in dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. Or I will turn their mourning into dancing. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Verse 14, I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Just a couple of points here and we're just going to wrap it up. I will feast the priests. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. You see, Israel's condition was because the priests weren't faithful to God. The priests' souls were not being nourished by God. The priests were nourishing their soul on everything the world said, this will nourish your soul. And the result was Israel was in dire catastrophe. So here's the principle I see here. The wellness of a nation is determined by their spiritual leaders, not just spiritual leaders, that's not the end of the sentence, because you could, you could have some swami guru claim to be a spiritual leader. And that ain't going to make you well. So we've got to finish this sentence and the sentence finishes determined by their spiritual leaders faithfulness to God. When pastors, ministers, leaders, preachers are faithful to God, more afraid of God than you. I mean, you're a scary lot, but he's scarier. And, and fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's not people to whom ultimately you give an account. It's God. And if your soul is nourished on the goodness of God, you can make a difference in our society, our community. And here's a side thought. I think it's First Peter chapter 2 says, He has made us a kingdom of priests. You are a priest. Some of you really need to get that because a priest is someone who stands between people and God. That's where the priest is. And the Bible says Jesus is our high priest and he invites you in. You now have direct access to God. You can come before God boldly, it says in Hebrews. You are a priest unto God. We're all priests. Now, here's the point here, because God says, I'll nourish the soul of the priests, then it will go well with the land. Whoever leads you, feeds you. So be careful who influences you. Be very careful. So Jeremiah's prophecies of restoration to Israel were really a call to repent. I said to you before that here he is pleading with the people, asking the people, turn from idolatry, immorality, turn from ignorance, turn back to God. And they wouldn't. 
They wouldn't. They just... And so God just lifts him right up and says, Okay, Jeremiah, I'll give you a glimpse of what's coming. I'm bringing a covenant. And it will be put in place because the people I've sent away, I'm going to bring back in 70 years. But I want you to see, Jeremiah, what I'm doing. This is what the people are going to look like. They're going to be faithful to me. They're going to rejoice in me. They're going to thank me. They're going to worship me. And Jeremiah's prophesying that to these people. So really, what's he saying? This is what you should be like right now. Thankful to God, worshipping God, faithful to God. And in order to get there, you have to, here's that R word again, you have to repent. And we've made that word repent out to be something like Westboro Baptist would paint on a slogan and wave it in front of a TV camera. And that's not what repent is. Repent is a beautiful word. It's an invitation word. It says, this is the way you're going and I want you to stop and turn around and come this way. The fact that God would even allow that is precious. It's that word that Roman soldiers would yell as their soldiers were marching down the road. They would yell out, metaneo, which is that Greek word which means stop and turn around. And that's the Greek word used for the word repent. Repent, stop. And turn around. So when God shows you his loving kindness, Romans 2.4 talks about this. Here's the question that I've got for you and for me. If there's a finger pointing this way, there's three pointing back this way at me. How have you or have you responded to God's grace through repentance? Have you? Have you felt that sorrow? Have you felt those tears of sorrow? Have you felt pleas for mercy? Come from your lips. Because here's the wonderful news, and this is where I finish, because this is what Jeremiah is prophesying about, the Apostle Paul explained. And this is how the Apostle Paul put Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 8 to 14. This is how he put it. What this means, this is from the New Living Translation, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. And that's what I want to say to that young girl I told you I was speaking to this morning. You give your life to Christ. You become a new person. You become a new person. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone a new life has begun. God's covenant is one where he forgives you. He showers his love on you. He rescues you from that which is too strong and overwhelming you. And he delivers you and he gives you a new path and a new life. And it's all to do with what he's done and not you. God's love and grace is available to any nationality. Have you responded to God's grace through repentance? More from Dr. Corbett in Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Souls Shall Feast on Abundance, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. 
For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Magana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.